This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hello, Professor Gershon. Okay, well, we're going to see about Professor Gershon. I heard him earlier. We know that he's with us in Oxford. He's with our guest, Marie Cope, who is the Assistant Clinical Professor and Director of the Transitional Clinic. She's our guest. We're going to learn more about the clinic's business law assistants. The University of Mississippi School of Law has a number of clinics where they have their law students Practice, learn to help. This helps them in their education. It also helps Mississippi uh, citizens learn and be able to get assistance from the law students. And the transactional clinic helps farmers, helps startup businesses, helps entrepreneurs, especially in the Mississippi Delta. Those are places where the transactional clinic facilitates. We're going to try to get Professor Gershon on back on our show. There, Marie Cope is our guest. She is an assistant professor there. We're excited about uh, the fall weather, and we can speak with him to see how the weather has been in Oxford. I know in Jackson it has been, we woke up to a little bit cooler where we had have lovely weather, getting gotten rid of this 90-degree heat. But... We're talking about we're talking about the transactional clinic, but we want to remind all of our listeners about the elections that are coming up. If you need to vote absentee for the November election, we want to remind you that absentee voting began on September 23rd. You can continue to vote absentee until Monday, November 5th. That's the general election day, Tuesday, November 5th. It's a general election in Mississippi for our statewide offices. We also have quite a few county offices that have um, run that have uh, elections. So we need to make sure everyone remembers to go to the polls on Tuesday, November fifth. And if you don't know where your voter information is or if it's up to date, a little bit later in the show we'll tell you how you can double check it. I think we've got Professor uh, Gershon now and Professor Marie Cope. Good morning, Liz. Glad to be here. And we can hear you and uh, glad to join you. And um, really happy to have Marie Cope on today. You know, we talk about uh, teaching at the law school, but one of the most important things we do is we have great clinical programs that allow students to learn by practice. And they learn uh, under the supervision of wonderful teachers and lawyers like Marie Cope. Uh, Marie's been involved in our domestic violence clinic, our child advocacy clinic, and now she's the director of our transactional law clinic. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to let other people in Mississippi know about the services we offer to clients as well as the experiences we allow our students to have while receiving this course credit and assisting in economic development in the state. One of the ways we are able to do that is by allowing our students to take the course. So the Transactional Law Clinic is actually a class that students are able to take for three hours credit 
we meet as a regular class does two days a week for an hour and a half. And then the students are required to have 90 hours of client contact time. During that, they do research, they interview, they draft documents, and they communicate and give advice and counsel to the clients. It is really fun for them, and I absolutely love it. We are able to help people who are excited about their new ventures, and we're able to do so for free, which is pretty amazing. During this time, there are a number of people who are excited about opportunities to start a new business. However, they don't have the money to necessarily incorporate and to have the documents drafted. We prefer that they come to us rather than using some online template that they find that might have ramifications that they don't know anything about until they are potentially in a lawsuit or in some type of dispute with someone else. Well, that's an important point, Marie. I mean, I think you know people think that they can do it cheaper without a lawyer a lot of times, but um, a lot of times it costs them more in the long run. And, and the point of the transactional law clinic really is to keep people out of litigation by doing it right up front. Absolutely. We try to make sure that the client understands what it is that they need to do in order to protect themselves when we are assisting with a limited liability company, which is the majority of the organizations that we help form, then we go through steps A through Z with them. And our hope is that they are successful after the incorporation process and the initial setup so that they will have enough money to be able to go out and hire the um, other attorneys in the state who are working hard to assist the already existing and financially viable organizations. You know, who can be a, a, a client? So we have uh, listeners out there, and they're thinking, well, maybe, you know, can I use this, this clinic to help me, uh, you know, set up my not-for-profit or do a contract or whatever? Who, who can be a clinic uh, client? So we help low-capital entrepreneurs and small nonprofits. We specifically don't take clients who we know have the financial resources to go and hire an attorney because, quite frankly, most of those attorneys out there are our alums, and we want to make sure that they can make a living, too. And we want to help those, and we only have so much bandwidth, so we want to help those who aren't able to necessarily go and get the legal assistance that they might require if they can't afford it. This morning, we are talking with Professor Marie Cope. As she's the assistant clinical professor and director of the Transactional Clinic at the University of Mississippi School of Law. We're learning about the clinic and uh, who they help and what kind of programs they have. So we'd love for our listeners to call in with their questions. Our number is one 672 or if you like to do the alphabet, that works out to be one eight seven seven MPB ring. You could also send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Professor Cope, this 
sounds so interesting. Help us wrap our mind around it a little bit. What are some of the projects that, that you're familiar with? What are some of the projects that the law students maybe worked on last semester or the year before? We have helped a number of small nonprofits with the incorporation process through helping them with the filings with the Secretary of State, help them draft articles of incorporation and bylaws, and seat their boards. Uh, then one of the most complicating parts of the process is when they have to file the form 1023, and that is the application that the IRS requires in order to receive a 501c3 designation. That can be very overwhelming because of the amount of information that is requested by the IRS. There's an easy form, so if you don't plan on making or raising $10,000 or more, then it's a very succinct form. However, the long form is about 28 pages, and the instructions are about 40-something. And it can take a long time to get that status, so the sooner an organization comes to your clinic or goes to a lawyer and gets that started, the, the better. Absolutely. And there are a lot of organizations or nonprofits who have not filed that and didn't realize they had to. And it's very important because once you have initially incorporated through the Secretary of State's office as a nonprofit, then you have to also register as a charity through the state and then register or apply, I should say, to the IRS within 27 months of that initial filing. All right. Well, we're going to continue our discussion with Professor Cope after the break. If you have a question about these laws, if we have so many generous individuals in Mississippi. If you're considering starting a not-for-profit and you have questions about what needs to be filed, uh, we, we're not the legal clinic, but she can tell you exactly what types of things will need to be filed, and then you can go on from there. So please give us a call. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You could also send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Hey, if we're getting ready for voting season. If you're not sure if your voter information is up to date, we'll tell you how you can double check it when we come back from the break. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
Welcome back to In Legal Terms. Now, not everyone has a chance to listen to our show live. So if you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill, and I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. We want to remind all of our listeners that on the Secretary of State's webpage, which is sos.ms.gov you can double check to see if you're registered to vote now you can't the deadline to register for the election has already passed but you can check to see if you are registered but you can change your address if you have moved since the last election and you do not have to re-register this morning we're talking about what laws Uh, what an individual entrepreneur needs to be aware of to start up a business or a not-for-profit with our guest, Marie Cope, who is the assistant professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law and is in charge of the transactional clinic there. We do have a phone call that we have called in. Let's call talk to uh, David, who has called in from Ackerman. David, thanks so much for being a part of In Legal Terms today. Go ahead. Well, thank you so much for taking my call. I'm calling actually just to uh, say hello to uh, Dean Gershwin and uh, Professor Koch and to commend both of them on this magnificent program that they have started at uh, Ole Miss. I want to also say I have a great nephew uh, who is in law school there in his second year, and I certainly have planned to encourage him to uh, do some work for the clinic while he's there. It seems to me like it would be excellent hands-on experience for these young wannabe lawyers. Thank you for that call. That is such a nice call, and we really do appreciate you listening, and we'll take good good care of your uh, nephew that's here. And uh, I do hope uh, that he takes a clinic with Marie or any of our wonderful clinics that we have here because it's a great way to learn. Well, thank you, Dean. Thank you, David. We appreciate you calling in. Um, you know, we, t- we talk about this, uh, Marie. We talked about the... Uh, the, the, some of the things you do, and one that I'm always curious about, and this was kind of something y'all have done from the beginning. You worked with uh, musicians in the Delta and now farmers in the Delta. What kind of legal work would a, a farmer in the Delta come to you for? So it's interesting how this began. What we discovered were there were a number of landowners in the Delta who were using their homestead to grow gardens and eventually would sell those products at farmers markets or other local stores. And once we started talking to them, we became very concerned about the liability issues. If there were some type of disease outbreak or there was E. coli found in some some type of vegetables or fruit or anything that had been sold, we were worried that if there were a, a pending lawsuit 
that those people could lose their homes and their livelihood. So we really started focusing on assisting small farmers who needed help incorporating their businesses. And by doing that, we were able to work with them to divide whatever property they had between their business and their own personal homes. So that if at one point in time, if someone did come after them and and they unfortunately lost the lawsuit, they wouldn't lose everything. And so we wanted to create these limited liability companies. And part of the work was not just creating the company, because we can do that within a couple hours, honestly. We can register with the Secretary of State. We can draft an operating agreement. We can draft a lease. The hardest part is the actual doing of the separation of the personal and business assets. It's reminding people to really use two checkbooks, not to write their groceries out of the LLC checkbook, not to pay their car note out of the business checkbook. And on the flip side, not to pay for um, soil or seeds from their personal checkbook, and really to create a business environment, even though a lot of times it's run out of their home. It's so interesting. It's so helpful to people because I think those are issues they wouldn't think about. And yet, you know, you're helping people save their homes. You're helping people really understand the, how to separate their business from their, their, their personal lives. And I think that's so great because yeah, that's what people who have access to, to, to commercial lawyers, people who have access to private lawyers understand. Those lawyers can set up businesses for them. But smaller businesses don't, don't have access. So our, our clinic really does a lot for them. And a lot of times people say, well, is that really helpful? Can't they just come after me anyway? And I try to explain that if they are truly they are actually making sure that they are living and working by separating those assets, then they will be protected by the courts. Our court systems in Mississippi really value the commercial enterprises, and they want to protect people who are being entrepreneurs and working hard. You know, if Coca-Cola... Uh, does something, and I, I sue the Coca-Cola company. I can't sue the individual executives of Coca-Cola because they're going to be separate people as long as they've done it right. And what you're doing is something similar in a smaller scale for people who otherwise would not have access to these services. So that's really uh, important. Now, you, you also do um, uh, startup work for not just not-for-profits but for, entre- for entrepreneurs. And I'm curious as to what kind of entrepreneurs have come to the clinic. We do. We have a number of them. We have worked with people who have created software apps. There are a number of different business competitions on campus. And we have those people who win or even those who compete who want to come and actually create their company so that they're able to start operating. I have drug a few friends into businesses. I can say that one of my good friends told me that she wanted to start this business 
and she makes balloons and does all these exciting things with them and decorates with them. And within two hours, I was making her set up a business. And I've also drug other friends into businesses. They had the idea already. They just needed some encouragement to, to actually go forward with it. And also, I wanted to make sure that they had the legal structure in place to protect them. And I understand we have some calls, Liz? We do. We've got a couple of calls waiting. I think this is a, a, a fabulous show. Now, we remember we don't give legal advice here, but we do have Assistant Professor Marie Cope from the Transactional Clinic at the University of Mississippi School of Law, and she can let you know what forms are needed to be filed out, what are the steps to take to... Uh, start a business if you're an entrepreneur, a farmer, you want to start a not-for-profit or an LLC. Let's go ahead and go to Jackson. And John is called in this morning. John, thank you so much for being part of In Legal Terms. Go ahead. Thank you much. Uh, I've called in your other shows. This is my first time on this one. So uh, bear with me. Uh, I'm not very good at the law. So uh, I'm a teacher, and two or three years ago, I was advised to get an LLC for the science show that I do. And things happen, and I've never done anything with it. So the two questions are, well, three, how do I find where that is again? Uh, do I need to set up a checking account with that name so that I can be paid through that? And then three, uh, what's the advantage of having an LLC? Those are all great questions, and I'm going to answer them generally and let you know that if you are interested in receiving help from the clinic, the phone number to leave a message and I can have a student call back and do an intake is 662-915-7429. So first... The advantages of creating a limited liability company are to limit your personal liability so that any plaintiffs out there who may wish to sue you or your business are not able to puncture the corporate veil and get to your personal assets like your home, your car, your retirement. Those can all be used to satisfy a judgment. So the protection is the key regarding how to set one up. Again, I can't give you legal advice specific to your situation, but I can say that the very first step for all entrepreneurs is going to be to register with the Secretary of State. Sorry to interrupt. I've already set it up. I just... It's been so long that I don't really remember how to access it. Okay. Well, again, I, this is not legal advice, but you can call the Secretary of State, and they are very nice there. We have called on behalf of a number of clients who didn't remember their login information and who had sort of let their LLC or whatever the organization was be dormant for a few years, and they were ready to get started, and we helped them 
first of all, file anything that needed to be filed in terms of past annual reports. I will say if someone does not file an annual report each year for their LLC, then they can be administratively dissolved. And so that's just another reminder for LLCs that are already in existence to make sure you file your annual report. Well, and you did mention, John's second question was about uh, having a separate checking account. And, and that uh, you, you did mention earlier that that's a good idea to not commingle your, your business funds with your personal funds. Is that right? Absolutely. We help our businesses get a tax ID number or an EIN, an employee identification number. It is free through irs.gov. And we highly recommend that our clients get that. The majority of the banks are now requiring business accounts to have an EIN and to also have an operating agreement for the business. John, thank you so much for uh, calling in. Oh, I love the idea of a science teacher going around and maybe putting on shows. That that sounds exciting to me. We have another call, and this is from Mobile. Adrian, we're glad that you've called in to In Legal Terms today. Go ahead. Hey there. Um, now, I don't know if this question necessarily fits inside the confines, um, but... Uh, if it doesn't, that's okay. But I was wondering, okay, if somebody had an idea and wanted to protect this idea while gathering investors and then, you know, the people with the with the brains to be able to make it all happen, is there something legally you can, like um, an agreement? Uh-oh. Are you still there? We are. We, you, you, you cut okay. out. Oh, no. Okay. okay. I'm so sorry. Um, I don't know what the last thing I said was. Um, if someone has an idea, is there an agreement or? Right, right, right. As you're, like, um, trying to gather people to either invest or uh, getting people on board to make it all happen, is there some sort of legal thing out there to protect you and your idea from getting stolen, essentially, <laughs> um, in the process of trying to put together a team. There absolutely is a way for people to protect their ideas, whether they are specific to a business or some type of manufacturing of a product. And we highly encourage our clients to have anyone who is a potential investor or someone who may be a potential employee to sign a non-disclosure agreement. Okay. A non-disclosure agreement is can be used to protect whatever ideas were disclosed during that process. And that happens before any conversation? It should. Okay. All right. Non-disclosure. Okay. <laughs> well, I think that was pre- that pretty much uh, um, answers my question. And um, I'm driving right now, but I think I will call back or get in touch um, later to get that number. You said there's a clinic. There um, is. I okay. will say that we only practice in Mississippi. So if you're in Mobile, then you might try the University of Alabama's transactional clinic. Okay. Okay. All right. All all good information. Thank you so much. 
Thank you, Adrian. We're going to go to Leroy right before the break, but we do want to remind all of our listeners, if there's a phone number given out or a website given out, I try to put that information on our webpage, which is inlegalterms.com mpbonline.org. It's also on the podcast. So if you just go to your podcast platform and look for In Legal Terms, you can find all of this information that we're talking about there. Leroy, thank you so much for calling in from Marks. Ooh, Marks, we just had a, a what was it, a mule festival? Y'all just had a, a harvest festival there. Leroy, thanks for calling in today. All right. Thank you for taking my question. Go ahead. Um, I was uh, asking about my church uh, years ago. We've been in existence for like a hundred and some years. And we had the uh, 501c3 on file. Uh, we lost the paperwork. Uh, I don't know what happened to it, but we was trying to get our 501c3 uh, done again. Uh, is there uh, free help for that or... Um, Absolutely. That is what we love to do. We love to help nonprofits who have either lost because of a number of years of, I won't say neglect, but maybe not knowing exactly what was happening, either reinstate their nonprofit status or start. And my number, I'm not going to give you legal advice over the radio station, but our number at the clinic is 662-915-7429. And, Leroy, if you call and give us some information, I'll have a student call you back, and we'll see what we can do to help you. Okay. All right. I sure appreciate the help. Sure. Have a good day. All right. You too. Thank you. We're talking with Marie Cope about laws concerning farmers or entrepreneurs or those starting not-for-profits. We'd love to take your call. It's 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You could also email us our address legalterms at mpbonline.org. Who will you be voting for in November? Now, we're not going to tell you who to vote for, but I'll tell you how you can find out who's on your ballot when we come back from this break. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. If with Professor Richard Gershon is our expert, we hope you'll download and subscribe to our podcast. There are many different podcasting platforms. You just download it to your phone. You touch the plus. That takes you to a page to search for podcasts. Then you can type in our show, In Legal Terms, in the search area. It'll bring up In Legal Terms, and then you touch the photo. You could subscribe or be notified when any new episodes are loaded up. Now, when you go to the Secretary of State's webpage, which is SOS 
www.ms.gov and you click through to the election information, you can ask what your polling location is. You'll type in your house number and your address, and it'll show you who will be on your ballot. It'll show you the state races with the candidates, and it'll show you your county races. This morning, we're talking about business law with our guest, Professor Marie Cope, who is the director of the Transactional Clinic at the University of Mississippi School of Law. We have a call holding. Let's go to Jackson and speak with Jermaine. Jermaine, we're so glad you've called in to in legal terms today. Go ahead. I'm trying to make something right now, Mom. Jermaine, you're on in legal terms. Go ahead. Uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to see, uh, do y'all, uh, have the information about the nonprofit? Well, that's what we're speaking with Professor Marie Cope from the Transactional Clinic at the University of Mississippi School of Law. And she's given out the phone number to the clinic where individuals can leave a message and a student will call back to get uh, information. Their number is 662-915-7429. Do you have a question about the clinic for Professor Cope? Say that number again. Our number is 66. The number for the transactional clinic at the University of Mississippi School of Law is 662-915-7429. And when you call that message and leave a call that number and leave a message, a clinic uh, individual, a student there will call you back to get information to see if you qualify for their help. Do you have a question for uh, Professor Cope and the clinic? Okay. Well, Jermaine, we hope that you're you're doing well, and we'll find out some more from Professor Cope about the clinic. Um, tell us more about when the clinic works for nonprofit organizations. What are some of the legal challenges that a not-for-profit might face? Not-for-profits face the issue of receiving the 501c3 status or designation from the IRS. It is a long, rigorous process, and the IRS is looking for specific things, such as a conflict of interest policy, they want to make sure that there is no inurement to the benefit of any of the board members or the organizer. And that can be complicated, especially in a small state like Mississippi, where we have a number of people who have very philanthropic, philanthropic sorry, ideas, and they want to help others, and they want to start a nonprofit to do so. However, they also want to have their mom, dad, uncle, aunt, sister on the board, and that is not going to work. They need to be a distant connection. It can be a friend, but it doesn't need to be someone who is related by blood or marriage because then it's more like a business and less like a 
actual charity. And that tends to be what we see the most. That is one of the largest challenges, is creating a nonprofit board of disinterested and non-related individuals who all want to work towards the mission of the nonprofit and hopefully can do so in a very business-like way. That's the other issue. Sometimes there are a lot of people with great ideas, but the actual business part of the nonprofit can be challenging. And a board is responsible for overseeing the finances of a nonprofit. And many times that can be challenging because they are not as sophisticated as might be necessary to keep up with things, or they just don't have the time to do it. And I know we have Lisa waiting on the phone, but I do want to ask one quick question, Marie, about that. I mean, so if I'm on a nonprofit board, I can still be liable for mistakes made by that nonprofit, or if someone steals money from the nonprofit, or if we, we do something illegal. Is that not correct? That is correct. And people do think that there is a shield. And to a certain extent, there is. However, if there is gross negligence or malfeasance or fraud, then you can definitely go after the board members. And that can be neglect, like I was saying, if people are just not keeping up with things. So you do have a duty to the nonprofit to make sure that things are being maintained according to the IRS guidelines. All right, and we, as Professor Richard Gershon said, we do have a call holding. If you have a question about the transactional clinic, if you'd like to know more about the clinic at the University of Mississippi School of Law, which does help uh, individuals create LLCs, it helps entrepreneurs, farmers, not-for-profits not get started. It's the clinic that is run by, that is uh, manned by students, law students there. If you have a question for Professor Cope, the director of the clinic, we would love for you to call in. Our number is 1-877-672-7464. You could also send us an email, legalterms at mpbonline.org with your questions. But now we're going to go to Hattiesburg and we're going to speak with Lisa. Lisa, thank you so much for calling in to In Legal Terms. Go ahead. Good morning. We, I'm interested in, uh, you've been talking about the farms in northern Mississippi, but what about the ones in southern Mississippi? We have some land in Covington County that we're going to be transferring to our son. He is interested in becoming a tree farmer. And so if we set up an LLC, is there an issue with having family members on the board for that? And what would we need to do to get started with all that? That is a great question, and again, I'm not going to give you individual legal advice, but I will say that an LLC is a limited liability company, which is a for-profit entity. You can do anything you want with it. You can have as many family members, as many distant individuals who you don't even know, they can be members of it. There is no restriction on who is a member of an LLC, which is one of the reasons why I many times encourage people who call with the idea of a nonprofit to actually create a for-profit if it sounds as if that would be a better entity. 
because if it's a legal venture, you can do it. So would you need an LLC for a tree farm? So I will tell you what. I don't know your certain circumstances. I don't know what type of issues there are in terms of passing it to a child. There are a lot of complicated potential estate issues. There may be a better way to do that. And so without knowing your specific situation, I won't give advice about the best way to set up your particular business, but I highly recommend anyone who is creating a business of any type, such as a farm, to incorporate as a limited liability company. Okay. Well, I'm very interested in coming up to Ole Miss. I just love Oxford and would love to talk with um, your people in your clinic about the best way to go about doing this. How soon would they be able to actually see someone to go over the particulars of how to get started? So I will tell you what. The best way to start is to call our intake line. And a student will call you back to complete an intake within the next 48 hours. Okay. Thank you, Lisa. We appreciate you calling in. We'll remind our listeners, and this information will be on our website, the clinic intake line where you can leave a message. That number is 662-915-7429. And as Professor Cope said, uh, a student will get back to you within 48 hours to take your information to determine if they can be of service to you. But now we're going to take our last break of the show. If you have questions about the transactional clinic for our guest, Professor Marie Cope, we would love for you to call in. That number is 1-877-MPB-RING, 1-877-672-7464. You could also send us an email, legalterms at mpbonline.org. We'll remind our listeners, if you need to vote absentee in November, we'll give you some information on how to do that when we come back. No, but still give Listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Thank you for being a part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show three different ways. In Legal Terms it's also number two is available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. And number three, you can find our podcast on our podcast platform. If you've got an Apple phone, you've already got the podcast platform on your phone. Android, you do need to download it. But I'm Liz Gill with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. And we do want to remind our listeners that our laws are created by our 
um, judges and our legislators. And it's election day is coming up no- Tuesday, November 5th. Absentee voting began September 23rd. So you have until November 4th to get those absentee ballots into your local courthouse. We're talking with the director of the Transactional Clinic at the University of Mississippi School of Law, Professor Marie Cope. You've done such a great job walking us through what the clinic is, talking about farmers, talking about not-for-profits. Let's talk about some entrepreneurs. I, I was excited to hear some schools have an app writing class, and usually someone from the class is able to uh, create an app and then sell it. And there are so many ways people can make money on Money Talks, which comes on at 9 a.m. We've talked about the gig economy, and a lot of individuals are entrepreneurs themselves. So what are some of the biggest legal hurdles for an entrepreneur? One of the the things, I mean, we we talked about um, the fact that you know the last caller. Uh, you know, how, how do you start? You know, when you when you, where do you go? And I think one thing, one legal hurdle is to go to go to a lawyer. That's the first thing. I mean, if, if it's not our clinic because you have enough money to see a, a private lawyer, do that. Uh, the other thing is to think about liability. And Maria's talked about liability. But by the way, before we get there, there's somebody I have to talk about this, and that is Cam Abel, who is our co-director of our clinic, and absolutely, and uh, an adjunct professor here who practices law and works with our students, and is an amazing. Resource for us, so I, I didn't want to not give a shout out to Cam. He's uh, the best partner I could have. Did you want to finish that question? I'm sorry, I kind of oh, jumped yes, in on the. Yes, I appreciate it because I've been meaning to talk about Cam this entire time. We're very fortunate in that we have him as a resource and as the co-director. He was the first director of the clinic when he was practicing law here in Oxford, and then when he was moved moving to Greenwood and he couldn't be on campus on a regular basis and is accessible to the students in person, then they asked me to co-teach and co-direct the clinic with him. And it's been amazing ever since. We had been good friends in law school and have continued that friendship and our students laugh at us because we are definitely like an old married couple and argue and discuss things just like one. That being said, one of the issues in terms of the gig economy that entrepreneurs need to think about and to consider can be very complicated, and that is who actually owns the intellectual property of the business, especially when you have someone developing an app. Sometimes that is someone who has completed or signed a work-for-hire agreement, meaning that they know that they are just working on that and they're going to sell it to someone else or they're being paid specifically to develop it. Sometimes what happens is if an agreement like that is not signed from the beginning, then there can be a dispute over who actually owns the intellectual property or the app. Sometimes you have a couple people and they have a great idea for an app and one of them's got the idea and one of them develops the app. And if they don't figure out the ownership of the app and the company prior to that development, you can have serious issues later on. 
And what are some of the things you can't do? All right, let's, you know, we talk about what you can do for entrepreneurs. I mean, what, what would you have to turn somebody away for other than income limits and things like that? What? Primarily, it's income. As long as it's a legal venture, we are happy to help you. The one thing that we're not able to do anymore due to liability or malpractice insurance costs is we do not help with intellectual property. We do not do any work with trademarks or copyright. You know, I was kind of shocked. I have a nephew who does intellectual property law in Atlanta, and their malpractice insurance is much higher than anybody else's. It sounds like that's what happened. That's exactly what happened in the clinics. That's kind of amazing. So, but you could do anything else. You could now. You couldn't set up, uh, for example, hemp farming is not legal in Mississippi, so somebody couldn't come to you and say, "I want to do a, a hemp farm." But any legal venture, any legal venture, yes. Um, now, what are the first steps somebody should take? If they came to you and they want to start a business, what, where would you start? We would first ask the question, who owns this company and how much do they each own? And you would be surprised at how quickly that can break things down when you have a few people who have this idea and they come and they sit down at the table and they think they've got an idea. And normally they do, but... Sometimes you have people where one person thinks they own 70%, the other person thinks they own 70%. Very rarely do we have two people come in who have actually considered all the ramifications of creating a business with another individual. We make sure that they go through from steps A through Z again, make sure that they know how this is going to be per proportioned in terms of membership interest from the very beginning and also how are they going to transfer that interest in the future if they want to what a fantastic show that we've had today professor cope thank you so much for being on with us Thank you. It's been a pleasure. This is a wonderful resource that our citizens have. We're so grateful that the University of Mississippi School of Law has these clinics. They're, they're raising these kids up right to be great performing lawyers. Oh, that's going to wrap us up for today's In Legal Terms. Our call screener today has been Java Chapman, and our board engineer has been the marvelous Jay White. So for Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi, School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Up next is our Tuesday Southern Remedy Show, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress. But we hope you'll join us again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.